You enter the treasure vault. The light inside spilling over you, revealing the glittering interior before the door slams shut behind you all. The room is an octagon, 30 feet by 30 feet at its widest points. Looking up, you see a glittering ceiling far above, some magic placed upon it to make it glitter with unfamiliar constellations of stars. Every inch of the floor of this room is filled with shining coins and jewels. Starting below your feet and rising in a glittering mound of treasure, haphazardly thrown. At the peak of this mountain stands Strahd, his back turned to you, his gaze lifted up. You follow where his eyes lead and see a familiar figure. Pinned against the wall, shackles around her throat, wrists and waist, hangs the wizened body of Madame Eva. Her eyes stare out, unblinking and unseeing, but with an unearthly purple light fogging them. Strahd sighs, the sound echoes around the room. She had wanted to help me be useful. At least now she's getting her wish. He turns, his eyes falling to you all. As always, the ones you love will always hurt you in the end. He begins to pace, looking down from his mountain of treasure. Well, here we are, heroes. The final hour. Your final chance to surrender. And he smiles, his fangs glinting. You would make the most wonderful little vampires. Imagine, you at my side, advisors, counsel, loyal servants. And he looks down at you, his eyes fiery with purpose. Tempted. Honestly, looking around at your, uh, your little lair you got going on, I thought you were going to announce you were a dragon. <laughs> All this treasure. This is a little bit of a letdown. You're only promising for us to be vampires. If you were like, if we could be dragons, I'd probably be there. But no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> that would be pretty anticlimactic. <laughs> yeah, I don't think your ratings would be that good for that. He takes you all in and rolls his eyes and goes, Well, I suppose it always had to come to this. He closes his eyes now, cracking his neck to either side. You were fun toys, heroes, but I'm done playing now. And when he opens his eyes again, they glow now, with the same light as Madame Eva's on the wall behind him. And one last time, he gives his glittering smile and says, Show me what you've got, heroes. And we're gonna roll initiative. 17. I have a 13. I have a nat 1 for Poncho and a nat 20 for something else. <laughs> there we go. I rolled an 8. Kathy is 18, so she goes right before me again. Hey there. There seems to be a moment before the battle commences, with the audience at home taking the heroes as they are now, watching as they stand ready. Kathy in her halfling form, the starting wisps of her ancestors beginning to coalesce around her. Vandango gripping the hilt of a sword in their hand, cloaked in shadow. Sari, in her dungarees and colorful sweater, holding her rapier in the grip taught to her by Irina. Camilla, teapot slung to her side among her billowing skirts and grasping the amulet resting around her neck. And Poncho, flames in the lenses of his dark glasses, raised himself in the midst of a cloud of dark dust, with two hellhounds at his side, their eyes mirroring his own. Far from the heroes that they entered as, these are the heroes that face their final test. And then the audience sees Strahd, 
and for a last moment they see him as beautiful and stoic and brooding, and then he snaps, lunging towards... Sorry, what'd you say? Oh, that son of a bitch. It's in this moment that you see the other side of Strahd. No longer the aloof and composed Count of Barovia, but the vicious killer that made him a fascinating terror to behold. His teeth and nails distend, growing into savage weapons with a war cry as he makes his two attacks at Sari's neck. Been the nicest to him. It's the deepest connection, you know? A 14 to hit. If I have a 14 AC. That makes it. That is going to be uh, 19 points of damage. You watch as he lunges towards you, and as he does, again, this more fearsome visage than you've seen of him in the past looms in your vision, scratch at your throat, taking a big chunk of it out. And he's going to attack with another one. Not natural, but 20 to hit. Well, you don't need my permission. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) So that is another 19 points of damage as he lunges at your throat and takes a bite out of your neck. After this, you see him pull back and the fangs retract a little bit, enough that they look pleasant again, as he very artfully wipes away a spill of your blood that's coated his lips and gives a small wink. You hear a clattering from above you. From the far reaches of the starry ceiling comes raining down a glittering shower of coins. At the same time, you look down and you feel the ground shift beneath your feet. The coins underfoot begin shifting and falling down, sucking below you and threatening to take you with it. Next... Fandango. You're transfixed by this rain of coins coming down from the ceiling and the sucking underfoot that you almost don't notice for like a full second before you feel a presence over your shoulder. You turn just in time to be able to see a very familiar face, though it looks more drawn out than the last time you saw it. You see the face of your brother. Mm. Similar enough to the way that you remember him for you to take a pause, but different enough that it takes you a moment to realize that it's him. But both thoughts are taken out of your mind the instant that he attacks. Oh, boys and berries, that's a natural 20. Give me a constitution save. (sighs) No, I can't. As your brother reaches out to you, there's just a moment that you feel that maybe he's reaching out to try and help you, to try and give you some kind of inspiration or gift that will get you through this battle that he essentially started in the first place. But instead, you feel, as he puts his hand on your shoulder, the life draining from you for 28 damage. And that comes off of your hit point maximum. I'm going to use my uncanny dodge to have that again. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I like that you can dodge the psychic trauma or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> dodge the psychic trauma. <laughs> I have therapy. Afterwards, the specter entirely disappears. First up for you guys on the list, all of Poncho's little mini army. <laughs> mm. Cool. Where is Strad right now? Is he next Strad to Strad is looming dangerously over Sorry. So I'm still really struggling with 
the idea that I'm going to somehow account for my three evil points. Mm. Will it count if I hurt Sorry at the same time as Strahd? Can, can Poncho make that choice as a, as a moment? Not caring about what happens to your friends feels very evil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the like, dust in the fire gathers around these creatures and Poncho sees Sorry and Strahd fighting and there's like a moment where he looks concerned like he's trying to find a way around the issue and then he just coldly accepts the reality and then uh, points at Strahd and uh, speaks in the tongue of demons Uh, black sulfurous smoke uh, waves off of him as he speaks and there's a but also I want it to be like there's a moment (laughs) where the two dogs like spring up like Rah! and then also like all the all the methods like like, <laughs> like all behind them behind yeah, yeah, yeah. Them. and then i'm going to make six breath attacks <laughs> <laughs> so it's four dexterity saving throws okay you only have to be a 10 as you're speaking the words and as you're reading this attack and as they are heading over you see his eyes flare up and you see above and behind him on the wall Madam Eva's eyes flare up at the exact same time. You can't hear what she is saying, but from her position on the wall, you see as her lips move. And just before the attack lands, you see Strahd smirk. As if knowing what's coming, every time that a breath comes, he dodges and he dodges and he dodges and he knows. Wow. In that case, if, if Poncho notices that, my head does like a creepy horror turn. <laughs> I like snap to Madame Eva, uh, like uh, yeah. on the wheel, and like, and uh, I know exactly what I'm doing on my turn. <laughs> and also, sorry, he has to make four dexterity oh, yeah. saving throws. Uh, I failed one of them. In that case, you are blinded for a minute, Ooh. but you can repeat. You can repeat the save at the end of each turn. Okay. So I am sorry. <laughs> Me too. Pon- Poncho is Pon- Poncho is not feeling sorry. Yet <laughs> Poncho, don't give us. I am sorry. <laughs> and now my devil dogs. Yep. It's two dexterity saving throws. Huh? You have to beat a twelve. You both have to make. Oh, that just is a twelve. It's two successes for Strahd. He still takes damage. That's fifteen. Cool. Two sweeps. So then they both take. Half, sorry. Half damage. Fuck. They both take half, half damage, damage, but but the total amount of damage is twenty-five, which is oh quite high God. for half damage. <laughs> I'm at fifteen. Ooh, fuck. Okay. Strad literally five seconds ago already said the ones you love will always hurt you in the end. So at least we're proving <laughs> a boy right this day. That's the end of their turn, but they all move into like combat with uh, Strad. So you watch as both the methods and the hounds all breathe fire and dust at Strahd as he dodges easily around them, only getting scorched by the hellhounds. And as they take another lunge at him, he disappears into smoke and reappears on the wall up in this room. So he is out of combat range. Uh, He does not provoke opportunity attacks. uh, And he now clings to the walls with his lengthened fingernails. Nice. Next up, is Kathy? What's Kathy doing? How far up the wall is he? About 10 foot up the wall. In that case, 10 feet isn't that high. <laughs> and Kathy is strong and Fandango's going next. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think Kathy and Fandango share a look and they just nod and Kathy goes forward and gets down on her knees and like tense her fingers and Fandango's yeah. gonna like run up and she's gonna try to like hook yes. him at Strahd. Oh my God. <laughs> you know so what? Fuck good. it, let's do it. That's too radical. <laughs> 
She's gonna rage, so she gets yeah, advantage she on what I assume is a strength check. Yes, yes, yes. 19? Halfway through the air, Fandango's gonna like lock eyes with Strahd and just say, Sergey. And then the sword's gonna flare out and he's gonna fucking chop at him. Yes. I'm gonna do my bonus action insight thing to get a sneak attack on this. Yep. Insight roll against his deception is 29. Yeah, that's no problem. So the actual attack, 23. Fuck yes. Hell yes, okay. 31 damage. That's with the extra plus two damage, the extra D8 radiant damage. After sharing a look with each other, Fandango and Kathy take off at a sprint towards the wall that Strahd has leapt up onto. As she goes, Kathy transforming into her werewolf form. As she gets below, ducks down, uses her shoulder, and Fandango just takes one flying leap onto the shoulder as Kathy boosts up. Fandango goes flying up into the air, takes just a hilt of a sword, and after saying Sergei's name, a flaming blade of sun comes shooting from the end, moments before sinking it real deep into Strahd, who both looks enraged and is terrified. Hell yeah more than anything else, has a full bloodlust that is going to last for the fucking ages. As you are up there, Strahd takes this opportunity to do an attack. He tries grabbing at you to bring you closer to bite. Does him being in the sunlight weaken him in any way? It does. Right up in his face. 18 to hit. 18 does not hit, you gigantic nerd Strahd. Bring up my shield at the last second and fucking block him. Hell yeah. Fuck yes! (laughs) Tries to grab into (laughs) your shoulders to bring you in. And his hands feel like they're coming towards you and they just get knocked away easily by the shield. Okay. And do a cool flip onto the ground. Yeah, you little baby! Next up is Sorry. Gonna do a cure wounds real quick. That's fair. We had too much action. It was too cool for a little while. We do need a little pause and just say, ow, my boo-boos. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I touch myself and I get uh, <laughs> Never gets old. Hard disagree, Allie. <laughs> disagree. Classic no, D&D. Yeah, no. So it's going to be a 10 plus a D8. So that's 17. I I think I put my hands to my throat and I'm really just trying to patch that up. And the skin is starting to reform, but it's still pretty fresh and gnarly. We've had a bad time throat wise because you've still got that cut from when, you know, your whole throat throat. was sliced open. Patches it up and kind of crawls backwards a little. Fair. Is there a save you have to make because of the methods again or something? Oh yeah, the blindness. Oh, that's right. 18. He passes, only a 10. Oh, okay, cool. Excellent. You heal yourself up and manage to wipe the dust out of your eyes. Next up is Camilla. Shout over it, sorry. Sorry, you doing okay? I'm fine. Oh, wait, no, I got ripped in the throat. I'm fine. You're sure? The more you keep talking, the harder it's gonna be. Okay. Ismay, I'm gonna try to cast Hold Vampires using (gasps) the holy item. Yeah, you are. That's right. Let's do it, baby. Get him. You have to make a wisdom saving throw. Okay. So I'm going to raise the holy symbol. 
Well, so that is 15 to save. 15 saving throw. So yeah, so that's one charge down. You raise this and a beam of sunlight comes out of it in an attempt to hold this vampire. You see as again, his eyes flash as Madame Eva's eyes flash as she says something into the room and he manages to dodge this effect. Can I shout at sorry again? You can, yeah. Sorry? Yeah. Can you maybe help Madam Eva stop <laughs> doing what she's doing? <laughs> I can try. I'm just going to tap my ears a couple of times. Okay, so really just you want me to cover her ears? Is that what you're trying to have me do? <laughs> uh, uh, Allie is performing a slow head shake. No. <laughs> It might not be much of an issue as it's Poncho up next who has some evil to fulfill. Uh, do you all mind if I get really evil? <laughs> <laughs> so Poncho takes a couple of steps around people to get a clear sight at Eva and uh, looks from Strad to Eva once more and then raises both of his hands like Palpatine and <laughs> um, I'm going to cast Scorching Ray at fourth level i think do it she's not moving do i have advantage on these attacks (laughs) she's restrained she is restrained yeah the lowest roll is a 23 (laughs) i mean yeah 21 damage camilla and sorry you have a conversation about how to safely get eva away from this position that she's been put in and as you are doing this just between you steps poncho whose eyes are trained solely on madame eva and you see as without even having time to ask what he's doing or to interfere in any way you see as poncho raises his hand and sends bursts of flame again and again at the woman that started your journey that told you where to find the items of power that you now hold in your hands she remains unflinching in every way as poncho sends moat after moat of fire into her is there anything else you want to do on your turn poncho i think i think that's about it <laughs> i think that's about it though top of the round Strad looks down at you all and looks over towards Madame Eva and the fire that has been hurled at her and gives a large smile and says, You know what they say, fire with fire and all that. He scuttles along the wall, climbing over the bricks and casts down a sweet old fireball. It'll catch Poncho. All your friends, Pancho, Camilla, and Sorry. Not my babies. <laughs> yes, your babies. Oh, I also have my capron. That gets rid of all fire damage, right? No, I cannot stress <laughs> enough how much not that. <laughs> Dexterity saves all around, baby. Anyone below an 18 fails. Okay. So full damage for this one is 32 points of fire damage. Half on save. Okay, thank God. Three of my dust methods go. Bleh! <laughs> I'm going to use Absorb Elements to become resistant. After that, you all sway slightly on your feet as the coins underneath you are still moving and the coins falling from above start coming around. Can Fandango and Kathy make deck saves? 
Fandango got 26. Kathy got 16. You see as Kathy looks over to you and looks down and only just is able to step aside as a sucking hole is opened beneath her feet and only just is able to dance on the precipice. Whereas Fandango, you look up and see this rain of coins coming towards you. You manage to step out of the way mostly in time, but still uh, receive a hot six damage Okay. as uh, you are hit by a good amount of these falling coins. Furthermore, you see as Strahd looks towards Poncho and looks down at your feet. Can you make a charisma save? Uh, is this a magical effect? Um, yep. Okay, cool. <laughs> 13. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm, uh, wait, I'm, I have Bardic, right? Yeah, you have a D8. 20? You're good, baby. Oh, oh my gosh. It's rough. Nice. After I ordered uh, Sorry's execution. It's like, that uh, was an inspirational speech that my friend and I nearly murdered. (laughs) But yeah, you are able to resist this effect. Your boys are up, Poncho. Is he still on the wall? Yes. Oh boy, that's so good. Uh, Then my hellhounds are, I tell them to like kill them and then they run up and they're like, Like, (laughs) Uh, I do have one Dustin effort left who has a single hit point. (laughs) <laughs> but he can fly so he's like flies at Strahd just directly at his face oh. and then tries to punch him in the face amazing <laughs> you'll have disadvantage 17 still hits we're <laughs> <You're> good <laughs> god little guy oh he rolled a 4 Aww. he did 6 damage <laughs> nice next up Kathy and Fandango you're a unit now what's happening are the coins still being sucked into the ground yes is it falling like a rain from the roof or is it specifically coming down through like a hole it's like when you look up you can't see exactly where they're coming from because the ceiling is so very very high but it is essentially a five foot area okay I don't think Fandango has any way of communicating this to Kathy so seeing these coins being sucked down and then looking up (laughs) the ceiling Fandango quickly extinguishes his sword and jumps into the hole head first like dives into it okay you take a look at Kathy and just give like a nod of we both know what's gonna happen (laughs) And Uh, and then she gives a nod of we both know what's going to happen. And you dive into a hole of coins and like the audience <laughs> just stays with Kathy for a moment as she goes, yeah, no, I do not think that that communication went well. Fandango, I need you to make a constitution save. Okay. 16. You are able to muscle out the crushing pressure. You feel like you're falling and being dragged at the same time. You look up and the world is quickly disappearing above you. You look down and there's an endless void beneath you. Can Kathy do something? Oh yeah, Kathy can still do a thing. <laughs> trying to think of the rules for like jumping. So seven feet straight up probably wouldn't be enough to... Does say in some circumstances, uh, well, your GM might allow you to make an athletics check to jump higher than you normally can. Let's do it, baby! So that athletics check is like a 20. Fucking yeah, baby, let's go, honey. All right, she'll only get one attack. Uh, that's a 24 to hit. Roll damage uh, for a 12. Uh, and that's magic damage with her axe. Kathy sees a Kenku that she has like a very short mind bond with. Jump into a hole and goes, all right, should have known better. <laughs> Just starts taking a run and runs towards one of the angled walls, gets a foot halfway up it, jumps over and with her as just 
slashes down at Strahd as she, she falls back to the ground and takes like a good slice out of him and lands with like a cool like slide in these fucking coins. Next up, sorry, what'd you say? Uh, uh, Kirun. <laughs> <laughs> As the MVP of the last fight, Sorry Wajase is fucking giving the people what they paid for today. Sitting there, touching all on herself and being like, yeah. I'll do it at level two. That's 22. Sorry just touches herself again. Of course. And Sorry is just like, man, how did I go from being such a kick-ass to just barely being alive, you know? All right. Uh, next up is Camilla. As my action, I'm going to try to hold Vampire again. Yes, make it happen. That's uh, a 21. So that didn't work. As again, his eyes flare, Eva's eyes flare, and he, as you're putting it forward, his eyes are already closed to shield the effects. Um, so I'm going to use healing word on Sorry. Sorry, you regain hit points equal to 1d4 plus 4. All right, that's 8. Okay. And that's the end of my turn. Again, I'm very helpful. <laughs> you got this, baby. Well, more helpful than I've been at this point. So. <laughs> Sorry's just touching herself in the corner. Poncho, you're up. Eva is still alive, right? Yeah, she is. <sighs> <laughs> well... So I think I am just going to use my final Dark Lightning Bolt then. <laughs> the fire didn't work out for me, so now I'm going to literally unlimited power. Which I So I assume she fails her dex save. <laughs> uh, yeah, she probably... Uh, look, I'm going to say she's not at the most dexterous that she's ever been. <laughs> That's 33 lightning damage. Yeah, you send forward another bolt of electricity as it shocks her. Like, you can see it going around the manacles and buzzes around her body. Again, apart from the involuntary tremors that she gets from being electrocuted, she remains motionless and unfeeling. You see her sagging, but the lights in her eyes stay lit. Oh my god. <laughs> yep. Once again, not wanting to let a good thing go to waste. It's fireball time, baby. Poncho, sorry, and Camilla. Fail. Yeah, it's a 16, so it's a fail. I failed. 23 points of fire damage. I half that. I am down to 11 HP. Yikesums! Yikes on oh my bikes! God. Okay, next up, the sinkhole is going to move over towards Kathy. Can Kathy make a deck save? Okay. Uh, nat 20. This time it's wow. not even a problem. Like, the sinkhole moves to under her feet, and she, as it sweeps by her, she deftly jumps over it and avoids it entirely. The falling coins are going to go over. Sorry, what'd you say? Can you make me a deck save? Okay. It's 17 plus 7. Hell so yeah, you say. Only half damage. Half, half damage. damage. Uh -huh. Thank you. Seven points of bludgeoning damage as the coins that are above you start falling in your area. You're able to move slightly out of the way of them, but still some of them crash down on you with the force of a waterfall. But it's coins. Star looks over towards Camilla, and as he attempted to do for Poncha before, looks down at her feet. I need a charisma save. It's 21. Again, you feel that chorus is getting tugged at again, but it manages to fade away. We're at Poncho's boys. Nice. So they're still up on the wall, yeah? Yes. One of my two hellhounds did regenerate fire breath last round. Nice. So he is going to breathe <laughs> on them. Excellent. <laughs> you have to make a dex save 12. Okay, so uh, Madame Eva fails. <laughs> Straw's going to pass. Okay. So it's 25 to Eva, 12 to the other guy. <laughs> Fucking um, Christ. 
So that's Hellhound. Mm-hmm. And then my one Dust Mephit still there. He he re- he recharged his breath as well. Ooh. So I think he is just going to like <coughs> in uh, Strahd's face. Excellent. Uh, okay. So that's a DC 10 deck save. Yeah, it's going to make it. Cool. That is their turn. This Hellhound releases its breath. Strahd, you see like parts of his skin burn away slightly, but he's able to roll partway across the wall and avoid most of it. But in its wake, Madam Eva starts burning. She still has her eyes alight, but you see the skin just melting off of her bones. You can start to see muscle and sinew beneath. She is not looking like she's doing well. Next up is Kathy. Sheen Fandango switched initiative last round, so can we find out what happened to Fandango first? Because I'm really scared. (laughs) (laughs) As am I. I spent a good couple of minutes trying to figure out how to get Fandango out, realized that I had no way of getting Fandango out. (laughs) Yeah, can I I find out what happened to my new character? Did I kill them by accident? Fandango, you plummet towards the endless, endless abyss. The rushing of the coins next to your ears is loud and it leaves a ringing there. You're floating in a space of nothing. The only thing that you can hear is that ringing. You can hear your own heartbeat. You can't hear anything else. You try to take a sucking breath in like a gasp and there's nothing there. In seconds that feel like years, you realize that this might just be it. All of the things that you've worked for, everything you've done, it's ended in very literally nothing. And then screaming back into existence, the coins start shattering by your ears again, and you find yourself high in the air. Mm. You are up among a constellation of stars that you have never seen, and the ground is below you, and it is coming hurtling up faster than you could believe. As coins plummet around you, I would like Dex save, I suppose. In midair? Uh, 16. Somehow you managed to twist and contort your body in order to make less of these coins. I probably just have my cloak wrapped around yeah, me. Yeah, you, like, you, you wrap that cloak around and uh, like a majority of them hit off that, but you receive five points of bludgeoning damage. However, you are currently quickly hurtling towards the ground. Okay, so a few things are going to happen very quickly. Number one, I turned the sword off, so I'm in darkness again. I am going to make a stealth check to hide among the falling coins. Yeah. Okay, that is a 23 stealth. Yep, hidden. Now, when the ground seems to be probably like 30 feet away from me as best as I can eyeball it, grabbing the edges of my cloak, Fandango just like opens them up really wide and they expand into these huge bat-like wings that allows him to just Batman glide down on top of Strahd, hopefully hidden. <laughs> and at the last second, he's gonna let go, whisper Sergey, and just hack at him. Yeah, let's fuck it up, baby. This is so badass. Cool. Do I have advantage on this attack? Was I stealthy enough? You were stealthy enough, but that just means that you don't have disadvantage. Okay, that's fair. I'll take it. Holy, we've still got an alive motherfucker that is keeping him good. That is a 28. That hits, baby. 33 damage. Like, a close enough to literal bat out of hell coming streaming through this torrent of falling coins, invisible to the naked eye. Seemingly from nowhere come these stretching bat wings as a being 
hurtles down from the air and sunlight fills the room as the blade activates again and this bat-like, bird-like being slashes down at Strahd. Did you say bat bird just then? I was about to say that. I'm bat bird. Cuts from neck to midsection, just a giant slash down his body before you land to the ground. Oh my god. Is there anything else to do with your turn? No, that's literally every action I could possibly take. I am going to stop there. (laughs) Kathy, we can resolve Kathy now. Um. Kathy, who looks towards Fandango and goes, that's what the no- I should have known. That was my B. I think Fandango will very quickly gasp out to her, don't do that. <laughs> She's going to try to do the same thing, jump off the wall and hit Strahd with an attack. That's a 20 total. Again, she like takes the opposite wall. One hand on the ground, takes off at a sprint towards the wall, jumps up one foot, slashes down with her weapon and takes another slash. 24 to hit. Hits. 16 damage. From one direction came Fandango, going from one side of the throat to one side of his waist. Kathy goes other directions from other side of throat to other side of waist, so he's got a cross down the middle of his body. Sorry, you're up. Okay, I'm gonna experiment first with Bestow Curse. I'm gonna try to do that to him. Uh, wisdom save? Yeah. That is gonna be not natural, but 20. Beat me by two. Thorns. Same as multiple times before. Madame Eva's eyes light, see her mouth whisper, and see Strahd's eyes light with a smile on his face. (laughs) And then I end my turn. (laughs) Oh, sweetness. Next up, Camilla. I'm going to point at Madame Eva, and then point at Sari, put my finger to my lips, and go, shh. What? <laughs> Bad Amoeba. Shh. And then I'm gonna um Don't be quiet. I think I think Fandango's just gonna turn around and be like, she wants you to cast silence up there. Oh well you should have mentioned that before my turn was over. Holy crap! It's been a half hour! <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm gonna try again to hold vampire. I'm running out of charges here. Ooh, let's Not go. really. It's gonna be fine. <laughs> Eyes flash, whispers. And I'm gonna cast Beacon of Hope. Do it. And you guys have advantage on wisdom saving throws and death saving throws. Ooh. And regain the maximum number of hit points from any healing. Wow. Poncho, you're up. I, I mean, I guess I'm just. <laughs> I guess you're just. I mean, fucking hell. Poncho is probably angry now that it has taken this long. I will do Scorching Way at level four. Go for it. 14? 14 hits. Okay, then all of them hit. 40 fire damage. As Poncho, frustrated to see that like he hasn't been able to burn through this link and seeing the flashes again and again, just unleashes. Poncho takes steps forward with each one, unleashing another ray of fire towards the very caught body of Madame Eva. And... Just a second before you send the last one, you see the light in her eyes fade away. And just for a moment, you're able to connect with the eyes of Madame Eva again, bloody and burned and decimated. And she looks scared the second before she completely burns away. And that is the end of Madame Eva. Do you still want me to cast silence, Camilla? (laughs) Oh my god. Horrifying. (laughs) Y'all. I I think in that last moment, Poncho sees that and he has um, a flash to seeing Dallin burning in a building, consumed in an inferno, and the making eye contact. 
Yeah, you see for a flash a face and a scream and a burning inferno of someone that trusted you, dying in front of you, consumed by flames. And then a second later, it's gone. Like, you you take a yeah. stumble back, wondering, like, what happened? Like, the moment after you think it, it's forgotten again, but there's still, like, a deep-seated fear in there. You can't remember why, but it's painful. And then he is furiously angry that he's been made to feel this way and turns to Strat. Speaking of, you see as Strat up the wall starts looking around into the air, like not making eye contact with any of you. You guys look at him now and he's looking very bloody and he is not looking good. And those closest to him, so Fandango and Kathy, you're able to hear him up on the wall going, come on, what are you waiting for? Before he turns back to the room to make attacks. I hate this. Strat turns his eyes to Podcho after casting him around the room, and you see like a laser focus regain as the straw demeanor returns to him once again. Can you make a wisdom saving throw? Is this magic? It is magic. <laughs> Fucking roll two fives. Oof. Uh, so that's a total ten. Pancho. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Is there something that you want to do? Just um, I have mind blank. I am immune to psychic damage, divination, read thoughts, or emotion. I'm immune to wish spells and any other mind affecting power. Yep. Strat doesn't know what happened in that fucking temple. So yeah, you uh, you see as Strad looks at you and that eye connection happens. Can yeah. I can I take my sunglasses off at this oh, moment? Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. I fucking. Oof throw my sunglasses to the ground and I just fucking stare him down with my yes. like hollow empty eyes. You feel him trying to make that connection with you and you throw these things aside and it's just the <laughs> emptiness of the abyss that stare back at Strahd and you see him falter. It's the falter of someone who didn't know what they were up against or rather didn't know what someone was capable of until this moment. Next up, layer stuff, baby! Camilla, can you make me a dexterity saving throw? Twelve. Camilla, you lose your footing as this sucking hole positions itself underneath you. You are so fixated on Strahd above and on the fact that your friend just burned an old woman alive and your eyes are cast up for too long to realize that beneath you the ground is giving way and you begin to sink down into the coins in the earth. Next. Sorry, what'd you say? Dexterity save. Uh, That's 22. Nine points of bludgeoning damage as the coins from above fall over you. Fuck. Strahd looks towards Sari, and you are distracted by that for long enough that you don't notice the presence behind your shoulder. But as soon as you turn around and look, you see Irina behind you, her face drawn and gaunt as if she's been dead for a good long time now. It is only as she attacks that you see the slight differences, that you see that this is not your friend. This is not the one that you've spent time with, but the vision of Tatiana has come to make attacks against you. 
that's going to be only an 11 to hit. It misses. The figure of Tatiana reaches towards you and there is the moment that you think that it's Irina and same as Fandango before you, you think that it's your friend reaching out to help. But in that moment that you realize that that is not Irina, you take a flinch back and the hand grasps past you and in a screaming inferno just disappears. Poncho, you still got boys? Yeah. Can they reach anyone at the moment? They cannot reach anyone at the moment. They spend their ten balking. <laughs> they spend their time barking up at Strahd. My dust method does attack Strahd though. Another punch to the jaw? Yeah. Let's do it, baby. Oh, is it advantage, disadvantage? Nothing anymore. It's a 21. Hits. Whammo! He's got moxie. That's a five. Next up, we've got the combo move of Kathy and Fandango. What up? Strahd is still up on the wall. Okay. Yes. Um, uh, this is clearly an issue. People can't attack him up there, and Kathy can see this. So I think Kathy's going to do the same jumping thing, but this time, instead of attacking, she's just going to, like, try to wrap her axe around the back of his neck and, like, pull him off the wall. Ooh, okay. Okay, yeah. And he's in sunlight, so he gets disadvantage. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Okay. I got a 19. That beats him. Yeah. That beats him. Oh my god. Kathy jumps up, wraps her axe around the back of his neck, and just heaves him down. He lands with a heavy thud on the ground. His breathing is heavy once he lands, and he looks up in somewhat of a panic. Fandango? Looks up to see me fucking cutting him real good. Yeah, he does. <laughs> 22 to hit. That hits. 32 damage. He's not looking good. You stab into him with this sun sword and you see it go all the way through his body. Like a normal person would be dead. The wound from it spreads as this decay begins to spread throughout his body. Sorry, what'd you say? You're up. I'll, I'll try a hideous laughter, I suppose. It is a wisdom. That's 15. Sweet. Fail. He's giggling. <laughs> this isn't better. <laughs> yeah, this is demonstrably <laughs> yeah, worse. This is worse. <laughs> All right, so now he's prone and incapacitated and able to stand up. Doesn't do any damage yeah. initially, though. No. So. Yeah, he falls prone. Mm-hmm. Next up is Camilla. I'm going to cast Crusader's Mantle. 30-foot radius. I think that covers everybody. That should do. Until the spell ends, the aura moves with you. It's awakening boldness in friendly creatures within a 30-foot radius. And it moves with me centered on me. And when you're in the aura, non-hostile creatures deal an extra 1d4 radiant damage when it hits with a weapon attack. Yeah, that ain't bad. That is an action. I think I can do that while I'm partially submerged in coins, right? Yeah, speaking of which, you're going to need to make uh, strength to get out of there. Surprise! Not... My strong suit. <laughs> She's a very good or very, very, good bad. Or very bad. I'm going down. Oh. That's a three. Uh, we need a con save. You guys watch as Camilla uses her last breath on the surface to send a spell out to make sure that you guys are happy, healthy, and hardy before slipping under the surface. Except... It's that an spell aura. centers on me. Oh, yeah. Shit. Well, don't worry, friends. Worry. It's an eight. That is eighteen damage. I'm I'm down. I'm a hundred percent down. Down and hurling into the depths. Camilla sinks beneath the surface and, unbeknownst to all of you, slips into unconsciousness. 
Next up is Poncho. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't think I probably I probably don't react to Camilla going down. I think Poncho is just bloody minded at this moment and just assumes that everything else will take care of itself because at the moment Strahd is just on the floor laughing right yep I think it only makes Poncho more angry and I will run up to him and bring my staff above my head and shout I'm I am done with this uh, and I plant the bottom of the staff on his chest and I cast a cone of cold directly on him <laughs> so it's a con save that's 12 DC is 17 the damage 42 damage Strahd is looking awful. That's a 19 to get out of Natasha's hideous laughter. Yes. Poncho, you stride over and plant this. Like, you put it with so much force that you can feel some of his ribs crushing underneath the weight of it. And the hideous laughter that he is constantly spilling out of his mouth quickly comes to an end as the frost runs over his skin and cracks it. He's gone through very immediate frostbite, where his whole skin has just frozen and cracked. He remains alive, but just barely. Strahd is up next, and he looks wild. On the floor, you can see he's just a shell of the person that he was. He's going to stand... But as he does, you can see that he's shaking and he like he takes a hold of the wall to help himself. And he's looking not at any of you. He looks around the room in anger and in fear and just starts shouting. He starts screaming into the ether going, what are you doing? What are you waiting for? You're just going to let this happen? I am the star of this show. I am the star. This show is nothing without me. You understand this? How? And you see him wait for a second as if he expects something, anything to come to his aid. But nothing happens. And like the manic laughter that had taken over him before, he starts quietly laughing again, though his face is utterly dead as he goes, Fine. Fine. Have it your way. He turns his eyes to Poncho, who is just crushed into his chest, and he is going to take some attacks. First up, 20-something to hit. Hits. 24 damage. Uh, physical damage. Yes, as his long nails rake into your body as he just wildly slashes out like a caged animal. Gah! I'm looking really bad off after that. I stagger backwards as he slashes across me. Probably gonna look worse in a second. Yeah, we'll see. That's 18 to hit. Shield! Uh, as he comes in for a killing blow, I, like, deflect off. As uh, he takes a lunge for you, and you see, again, the face that has seen the death of many a person as he lunges for your throat, and you, in utter gut reaction, bash him away, and he staggers back, winded and bloody and crazed. Next up. Sorry, can you make me a dex save? Okay. It's, it's a one. <sighs> the... <laughs> The sinking hole of coins positions itself under your feet and you are so taken aback by Strahd and the crazed transformation he's gone into and just get sucked 
in and down the pillar. That's gonna go over Fandango. Can you make me a deck save? 21. It's only gonna be half damage. That is seven damage. I'm just gonna half that again with my uncanny dodge and only take three. Okay. At this point, Strahd is gone. (laughs) If he is hit by one more thing, Strahd is gone. I'm gonna let you guys resolve how you want this done because this is the end of your journey. What do you want to happen? (laughs) I know what Fandango's gonna do. Like he definitely has a moment where he sees that he can get the final blow on this and it would be super satisfying. And I think as he kind of winds up to do it, the coins start hitting him in the back. And as he steps out of the way, he remembers Camilla getting sucked into the pit and She doesn't have a cloak like he does. So I think there's definitely a moment where on his turn, he has to like look back between like the sword in his hand and then like back up. Uh, His plan is to go get Camilla, but he needs someone else to kill Strahd first because he is the sun sword. If, if, if Sari would be allowed to because she's evil. Sari didn't make a promise at the very beginning. Yep. If it was between Camilla or Sari. (sighs) I just don't know if I can do that because I'm evil now. I kind of want my dogs to eat Strahd. <laughs> I mean, I think there, if, if I may, I feel like there's this this sort of collective moment of hesitation where we all realize this is the end. Yeah, yeah. And Kathy, being a woman of action, just goes, fuck this. And like, <laughs> double axe right up over the head, brings it right down on Strahd's neck. And with that, like, that action kind of breaking the silence, the dogs and the mephits just pounce on the body and begin... Yes tearing it to shreds. I'm very down with that if folk are. Sure. Because really, it's her story because it's about her daughter who got taken in the beginning. Yeah. This is a moment that I don't think the audience at home saw coming. They knew this kind of story from the offset. Like, they knew the mother-daughter story, but Kathy was never the star of that story. She was like a fun twist that they would see coming. As soon as you all regrouped, Kathy became someone that was in the background making sure that her daughter was okay and very little else. She was someone who saw people that she cared about turn to darkness and had to abide it when it was something that she couldn't abide. She saw her daughter disappear from her and had to keep going, no matter if it was going to be the death of her, the death of everyone else, all she knew is she had to keep fucking going. She was forgotten about, no one remembered she was there at any point, and we got to this last moment, and as everyone fucking hesitated again, Kathy steps forward and goes, this is going to fucking finish, and just sinks her axe down and takes Strahd's head clean off his body. There's a silence, and the silence is only broken by the falling of coins, and then you see as the hole in the floor covers itself over with a layer, and you can see as the coins above start trickling down, and as you look up, all that you see going through the air are the last of the coins and a falling shape. Camilla, can you make me one death save? 
That's a 12. So you have one death save. Hey. But the body is coming hurtling down through the air. Yeah, Fandango's going to extinguish the sun sword so he can turn his cloak into bat wings again and he's going to fly up and try to mitigate that fall. Fandango, yeah, you extinguish the sword and take a right leap, taking what Kathy had done before, go to the wall before, use a, like a foot against it, Hell yeah. jump up, swish your cloak around yourself and take off up. Can you make me deck? 24 dex check streaming up like going against the the current of this pillar of coins rising from the ground you go and put your arms under the falling body of camilla and do your best to start the descent slowing on its way down camilla on the way down we're going to need another death save it's an eight again. We got one fail on the board. Yep. Fandango, you are able to grasp her and the rest of you on the floor watch as this large winged, but not winged, but winged creature <laughs> descend with the body of your friend in their arms and deposit her on the floor where the coins have just stopped falling. As soon as we're safe on the ground, I'm going to cast Spare the Dying so she's stable. She's, uh, she's going to be okay. Sorry feels weird because normally in any other circumstance she would have like rushed over like immediately but there's like a an emotional haze kind of over her eyes and so like when you save her and you bring her Camilla to the ground sorry is just kind of like a little removed from the situation and it's not until you prop her up where it's like oh yeah that's what I'm supposed to do and she walks over and she does uh cure wounds so it's a d8 plus 10 it's 15 while they're all seeing to Camilla, Poncho is sort of just watching. Outside the battle rages, but all at once eyes turn to the skies above Castle Ravenloft, a rumbling low foghorn of a sound, their cue. The fighting stops as they wait for the verdict, everyone's breath at the back of their throats, at least for those who still live to breathe. It takes years which fill the space of seconds before a shower of light erupts from the Tower of Ravenloft. It's white. Not the purple of Strahd, but white. Of the heroes. Of freedom. Of victory. Realization falls quickly, though few can fully understand the enormity of what this means. One by one, Strahd's army drops to their knees in supplication, bowing their head in defeat as the most unlikely of victors stand, exhausted and bloody, but victors still. Irina takes a moment before she grins, laughs and shouts loud and long to celebrate the victorious heroes, her friends. Her face radiant, she turns to Ismark and finds him no longer by her side. She says his name, then louder, then louder. Her face reddens as she screams for Ismark again and again. She screams for him long after realizing that he will never hear her. Zulika, her body torn, pants as she looks around, trying to count the number of werewolves that remain. She walks slowly, limpingly, as she comes across body after body. It's hard for her to tell which pained howls come from her old kin as they slowly die from wounds, and which belong to newly made werewolves their agonized cries ringing out as the battle in their own bodies still rages. Dag at home in the winery sees the light, smiling at the cooing child in his arms. He says, Mommy did it. Mommy won. And the baby laughs as he pinches her nose. 
She's too young to notice or understand why her dad is crying. Too young to understand why he will wait outside for hours, watching the skies and the roads. Not sleeping, only waiting. Rictavia stands, her head bowed, her eyes closed, letting her red locks hang over her face. She stands still for minutes, waiting. There comes no tap on her shoulder, no irritated punch on her arm. She starts to walk. She doesn't need to look around. She doesn't even know why she bothered waiting for so long, as Merelda was doomed the moment she entered the vampire hunter's life. Rictavia doesn't stop walking for days, though her hair fades from a vibrant red to a dark, resolute black. As Camilla is healed and her eyes flutter back into life, there's a collective breath realizing that everything that you have done in this world has come to this moment and everything now is too quiet and it's too still and it's not the celebration that you would have thought. I think in the silence, Fandango will turn the sword back on and just call out, Nimue Dakan. I know you're listening. Come out now. We can end this. Or hide and we will find you. As this echoes around the large chamber inside, there's still a silence. And then just a moment later, you hear a bell ring. It's uncomfortable. And you don't know what this moment has in store until you hear a single clap of hands behind you and a voice saying, oh, you did it. Of course, of course I believed you could, but still, it's wonderful to see. Oh, you called. And like turning around, you see a woman dressed in deep purple silks, long braids, and a look of rapture in her eyes. In her wake stands another woman with cat eye glasses that three of you remember holding a contract out to you in the half and half cafe and that now holds similar looking papers in her arms. The first woman strides forwards, grinning, goes, Okay, quickly with the introductions. Now I'm Nimue Dekan, showrunner, avid fan of you all. And she gives a smile and gestures at the woman behind her. I would love to celebrate with you, honestly. You know I would, but the sooner we start out the new contracts, the better. Can Sari do something evil? If you would like, yeah. Can Sari cast Dominate Person on her? I don't know if that counts as evil. Well, it's a person that subjugated you. I know. Yeah. But <laughs> like, evil in a real sense. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. She has to succeed on a wisdom saving throw. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you try. Okay. And you hold out your hand and in a grasping motion try and hold her where she is, but she still takes another step or two forward as you grasp at nothing. She goes, now, now, come on. Are we going to be childish about this or are we going to talk like adults? We have a lot to discuss. We have nothing to discuss with you. Well, I would care to disagree. You won. You are the first people who won. We have much to discuss. We've got, obviously, a lot of new contracts that we've got for you to sign. All of the details can be worked out. We're very willing to uh, bend to your wills as you are the new reigning champions. Can Sari pull out her rapier? <laughs> she can, indeed. And I hold it up to her throat, and I'm like, no. 
Nah. No. No, it, it's done. It's it's over. No more. I'm done. And I push it a little bit closer toward her throat. Nimue rolls her eyes and goes, Okay, I understand. Obviously, you know I do. But would you mind if we skip the part where you do the heroic and noble thing here and refuse the offer? My darlings, everything can be yours. Camilla, sorry. Oh, what are you attending to do afterwards? Return to your little tea shop in the middle of nowhere? You could have an empire here. Camilla, you could make a real difference here. You are a pure and good soul. Imagine you saving the people of these lands. Maybe getting a little notoriety for that lovely god of yours in the process. And sorry, sorry, you would be the most famous baker, famous chef, famous person in the world. You could do your work here. People love the whole uh, can Candyland vibe that you did. You could work with Illy. She's making wonderful progress, but I'm sure she could use your vision and direction. We do a lot of good at home. She gives a deep, deep sigh. I am sure you do, but you could do so much more. It's upsetting that even at this point, you don't realize your full potential. We've seen what full potential has done. You know what's disappointing is when your best friend almost dies and you feel nothing. So there's nothing you could tell me right now that's going to make me want to stay. I think I think Fandango definitely has a moment of like... Nothing? Oh, uh, <laughs> he's like standing between Sari and Camilla and he's like... Oh, oh boy. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to figure out how Camilla reacts to that statement. <laughs> Nimue looks incensed. Like she looks like she's not prepared for this somehow. Like she was so sure of what was going to happen. And she casts her eyes around and lands on Poncho and goes, Poncho, you can't be thinking of leaving. Look. Uh, I step forward uh, and I point at her face and I say, I want my fucking money. <laughs> I want some fucking magical trinkets and then I'm out because I've got shit to do. Shit to do? What have you got out there, Poncho? Are you going to go back to living as some kooky old man above a tea shop? You have to know it's too late for that. You don't belong out there. This, and like she gestures around, all of this could be yours. Every part of this, you could be the most powerful person in the lands. You can remake it all in your own image, whatever you think, whatever you want. Anything that you would need at your disposal, it could all be yours. Pancho. The person that I need to find is not here. Nimue looks baffled for a moment and then goes, Oh, yes, no, that's right. Honestly, I did mean for this to come up earlier. I really did, but things got in the way. You, you understand. And she sighs, opening her eyes again. She comes down, crouching slightly, becoming more in your eyeline and goes, Poncho, there is no one out there for you. Remember. And as she says the word, you do. You remember fire, you remember flame, you remember screaming and skin burning as easily as dried wood, and you remember exactly why you haven't searched for Delon. You remember them dying in front of you in the flames, and you remember that they're not out there waiting for you, that they never were. 
Uh, I I drop my staff and take a step backwards. What does this... I don't... Well then, what was it all for? It was for this, Poncho. Look at it all. The money, whatever. I'm sure you could get it in any way you wanted. Money is nothing. You could have these lands. If you want to spend your time coming up with new wonderful spells that will change the world, we've got the resources to help you make that happen. The people you need, not a problem. They're all there for you. You can dictate story, where you would like things to go. All that we ask is that once or twice, we nudge it in the right direction to make it more interesting for the people, but for the most part, Poncho, the world is yours. Are you quite done lying to us? She looks over and goes, Oh, yes, we would also be happy to have you on board for longer. If you have a favorite village, maybe if you would like to be the head of that, maybe uh, Town of Barovia, the new uh, Flaveltacky needs a new leader. Kresik, maybe? That would be a strange one, but if you want it, it's yours. They're going to look past this woman to Poncho and just say, You're smarter than this, Poncho. You know she's lying. Whatever's happened to you, it can't tempt you enough into the same kind of deal he had. These lands aren't yours. They don't belong to you. As much as she says you would be in charge, you would be beholden to her in every single way. It would not be freedom. Nimue looks slightly perturbed by the shift in persona, but changes her tact quickly when she realizes that this is a lost cause and turns back to Poncho and says, Look, Strahd was here long before he was a star. It's already yours, Poncho. You've already surpassed him in most about every way there is. Your deal would be far better than his. We can make sure of that. We can take our time, sit down with a contract, and go over every minute detail until you're happy. We like to keep our stars happy. Well, uh, I'll see what you have to offer. Willow Weep is the same as it's always been, but at the same time, something within remains forever changed. It's two months after the heroes have been released from their contracts. They're not technically the heroes anymore, just people. They come back to realize that the explanations that they had been crafting about where they had been proved unnecessary. Some fan had found Willow Weep. They brought a scrying pool, and the town had set up a constant vigil to watch the story unfold. They saw everything, or at least knew everything. So in these two months, I guess, Sari, what have you been doing? For the past two months, Sari has really been taking on the brunt of the celebrity, I think. Yeah. She's been holding baking masterclasses. She's been talking about her time with Strahd. She, she's still having a lot of trouble connecting to who she is, but she's a consummate actress. And so she's able to act like she was, which thank God she got that charisma modifier <laughs> from those from those tombs, because that's kind of what's got her going. When people ask her about the others, that's the only time where the charisma kind of falls off. That's kind of where the, the dark 
kind of bits come out. And so people don't really ask her too much about everybody else anymore. She's been living up in the loft of the half and half cafe, mostly kind of keeping to herself. The cafe hasn't been open and she hasn't really gone down into the kitchens. She's been going to a different place that has been rented out to all the master classes. But she's kind of just been alone. She she doesn't really go to family dinners with her moms. Her moms have been wanting her to kind of hang out more. But it's almost like spending time taking on the brunt of all of the publicity is just a lot. And she's having a lot of trouble kind of reconnecting with who she is. So she doesn't really get out more than she needs to. A lot of people have been coming into town knowing that this is where the heroes that took down Strahd were from. And so the kind of diehard fans wanted to come and see where it all began and find you guys. And at the very least, they were able to find Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and Camilla, where have you been? Camilla is fully traumatized. She's completely shut down. I think a part of her can't believe that she's home. She's been living with her parents. She hasn't gone back to the apartment. I think she's kind of refused to see anybody. Like the exact opposite of what Sari's been doing. If anyone comes looking for her, regardless of whether it's someone from the town that she's been friends with, or a family member, or a fan, she doesn't want to come out. She's been doing a lot of time praying and meditating, and her parents are very concerned. It's been kind of a case study of the different ways that people have thrown themselves into the world after experiencing pretty traumatic events. Two months have gone by, and you guys have barely said a word to one another. What is it that brings you guys together again? There's, um, there's a holiday that they made up. The anniversary of the opening of the Half and Half. And there's something very, very specific that they do on the anniversary. Because the opening of the Half and Half was a disaster. It was awful. It was terrible. I'm terrible at planning, and Camilla (laughs) is just too anxious about opening Mm -hmm. that it was just a ball of badness. So right before we were going to open, we sent each other out for the things that we needed. And so sorry, thinking that she was buying Camilla loose leaf tea, accidentally bought her ground coffee. And, <laughs> and for whatever magical way this happened, Camilla completely got the wrong ingredients for scones. And we ended up with a tray of muffins. <laughs> and we were determined this was not a coffee house. And there was no way in hell with sorry making muffins. No, fuck muffins. <laughs> muffins. So every year to celebrate, Camilla makes a thermos of coffee and Sari makes a tray of muffins and they sit and crack up reminiscing about all the screw-ups they've had while running a business, I guess. So I guess what's happening is Camilla is brewing a pot of coffee. And Sari is making some boysenberry muffins. And it's a little bit of a timing issue because Sari is trying to figure out, am I going to actually do this? Am I really going to deliver this stuff to Camilla? Is Does she even want to see me? Am I even in the right mental place for it? Camilla's turned around two or three times. We're both so anxious about this that we miss each other. I arrive at Camilla's house. And I knock. And I arrive at Sari's. And I knock. <laughs> and I knock again. I shuffle my feet and I knock again. Try the doorbell. Mm-hmm. Try the knocker. <laughs> you both go through those motions of, did they not hear? And then quickly to, oh, they're ignoring me. And I guess eventually turning to leave. And the thing about the path that has taken us both there is that we happen to run into each other halfway. I do have half of one of the muffins Mm -hmm. in my mouth. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And I slowly return it back to the plate. 
I look at the muffins and I look at you and I slowly raise a thermos. I pick out one of the muffins that I haven't eaten the muffin top off of and I hold it up to you. I sigh and I walk the rest of the way and accept it. Camilla, I'm sorry. (laughs) I know. Three stories. One is of a young woman who came back home on her 18th birthday, a home she had not seen in nearly two years. It's a story about her slowly convincing her father that she's more than a ghost of his memory, and it's a story about being a stranger in the town she grew up in while also being far more well-known than she would like. What is Fang's reaction to coming back home and realizing that everyone in town has been watching The first person who asks her about Barovia and the whole show gets a black eye um, because she's not, she doesn't want to talk about it uh, and like absolutely hates that everyone knows everything that's happened to her for the last like year of her life. So I think after the first couple of days, she just doesn't really leave the house anymore. Does she not go and have a watch to see what's going on? Oh, she does not watch. No, she doesn't watch because of that has no idea what's happening in there and so when a couple of days later Kathy returns what does that look like? Just a lot of crying. Um, (laughs) A lot of tears. Uh, I think she just kind of shows up in the door one day and like surprises them and it's this big moment where like no one says anything but they all kind of run towards each other and do like almost a huddle as they like hug each other and like fall to their knees and just start crying. Takes them a while to like pick themselves back up, but it's a a nice moment. There was a lot that went on in Barovia and there's a lot of things that you disagreed on. And in the end, you guys are back home and actually together again. (laughs) At least for that moment, they forget all that and they're just, they're a family again. The second story is of a Kenku. This one mirrors the first a return home after years away. What's the reaction of Fandango's family when they come back? You know, Feng's house is this nice, cozy little halfling cottage. Fandango's home is, like, surprisingly big. It's almost like a a manor. It has, like, this fenced-in garden, Mm. uh, but it's clearly gone to seed. Ivy has grown over a lot of the fence. It almost doesn't look like anyone lives here, except, you know, the lights are on inside. So Fandango has to collect themselves for a moment upon seeing their childhood home for the first time in nearly a decade at this point, before just going up to the door and pulling the little string to ring the bell inside. And it's probably one of their younger siblings that opens the door, so there's definitely a moment of confusion before they recognize their older sibling. It's less of a big explosion of emotions, I think. It's, it, this seems a lot more like just welcoming someone home after a long trip, but there is this melancholy to it as Fandango hugs their mother, and there's this sort of shared look between them. In this story, they have a night together where they reminisce on everything that has been going on in Fandango's absence, but also talking a little bit about what (laughs) happened for Fandango as much as they actually can speak about it, I think. Mm -hmm. But still, even so, the Kenku leaves in the night, grateful for the time they spent with their family, but knowing that this battle will not be over until those in charge are made to pay. In this story, they return to the Resistance to a boss that's furious. 
Do you remember, Agent, all the time, money, and resources we put into putting you on that show? And in the end, we got no killing blow, and a message went unsaid on air. I joined your cause because of what happened to my brother. I had to sit in a pub and watch people cheer as he was ripped to pieces. In that moment, well, I guess I had a choice. I could deliver the message, everyone would see it, and maybe we'd have a little more publicity right now. Or I could actually save the one good person that was left throughout all that. Having someone like Camilla, we need people to see that you can come through this and still end up a good person. And there was no way I was walking out of there with another death on my conscience. So you're right, I made a choice and maybe I made the wrong one. You also know I'm the best goddamn field agent you got. So how about you hand me that mission folder and I get the fuck out of here? Their boss stops, trying to reply but unable to find the words before pushing a folder across the table to the Kenku. You know what you need to do. The Kenku nods, picks up the folder, and strides out of the office. The third story is about a dinner being made. A mother and daughter arguing about an old family recipe, both stubbornly sure about how right they are, while a father cuts vegetables, quietly smiling to himself. If he closes his eyes and ignores the way his daughter crackles with red energy and the way his wife's hairs visibly bristle, it's as if no time has passed at all. As far as he's concerned, these are small things compared to his family being whole again. In this story, dinner is being served when there's a knock at the door, which Fang goes to answer. Uh, Mom, I, I think it's for you. The Kenku on the other side of the door shakes their head with a smile. No, Fang, I'm actually here to see you. The heroes look up, eyes scanning through the fog that settles over the lands of Barovia. The bleak grey parts enough for them to see it. The tower which stands among the wreck and ruin of what was once the castle Ravenloft. A clock tower rises up, mechanical and ominous, gears shifting, manipulating the structure to make it an unending labyrinth. They smirk at one another, confident in their ideal party build, already sure of their success in this new version of a familiar game. The faces of these heroes warp and distort, the audience watching as they zoom out, seeing the heroes being observed through a crystal ball. Through a door in the tower bursts a man, hurried and eager, who says, they've somehow made their way into your lands. I've heard word that they intend to overthrow you. A hand comes up, silencing the man. Yes, thank you. I have heard the news. And I can't wait. <laughs> the man flinches. Y yes, my lord. I I'm sorry, my lord. Now go see to it that everything's ready. Make sure that everyone is at their posts. I want a good, clean show from everyone. The man looks like he is about to reply, but doesn't have time to speak. Interrupted as Zemulon's large, undead raven, Z-Bird, lifts its wings from his place on Zemulon's shoulders and lets out a call which echoes around the throne room as the two hellhounds by his side snarl, taking a menacing step forward as the man scrambles away. It pulls back to show behind him the inside of the huge clock face that the, the heroes can see adornments and the ticking hands seen from the back of the clock have this sort of eerie quality. The light mostly comes from the moon outside and the clock face casts angular shifting shadows across the room. 
The walls are grey and smooth and unnatural, and the only furnishings are the purple velvet carpet that leads from the throne to the entry. And Zemilon just uh, peers back at the crystal ball and with his sightless eyes smiles to himself briefly before wrapping his staff on the ground and turning to leave. With that, the bell rings, and a voice in Zemulon's ear begins, saying, That was wonderful, sir. No notes from us over here. We've got your next script waiting for you, uh, and you have a chat, along with information uh, about a new promotional offer yep, that we need to approve. Zemulon strides towards a small, barely noticeable door in the otherwise featureless wall. Zemulon opens this hidden door and strides through, and immediately the voice in his ear cuts out. He crosses the threshold into his private rooms, which are a prominent necessity in the contract that he drew up. A place in which he can't be seen, heard, or bothered. A place that he can be Zemulon, or Poncho, or even Finch. It's like a really narrow, like, a service staircase that winds up around the side of the building to above the throne room to this big, almost attic space. Like an attic, like how he started in the attic. Oh, God. I just realized. Yeah, he comes through and there is a little, I like to imagine there's a little drawstring light. <laughs> he pulls the drawstring and nasty white lights blink on one at a time across the space to reveal a large workshop with just notes pasted all over the walls. There's no sign of any other people here until Zemulon approaches the chamber at the center of the room. The chamber in the center of this attic looks like an observation room with strangely warped glass. Looking through, he can see the interior of the great wizard Mordenkainen's magical mansion. Zemion flicks the view from room to room, until he's gazing once again at the room of scattered papers, where he attempts to once again decipher Mordenkainen's notes, in the hopes that he will one day get a glimpse into what the man had been working on. Yeah, I feel like that is, like, where he is at, just flicking through these notes. I mean, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, Zemulon, or Poncho, or Finch, peers into the warped magical glass, checking and changing his notes over and over again in silence, working on the advancement of magic. Whether that advancement will be to share with the world or to keep for himself aren't questions he can answer right now. And he ends as he began. An old gnome, alone in an attic, losing himself in his work. You've been listening to Half Damage, a Crit Chat production. You can find Half Damage and Crit Chat on all social media by searching Crit Chat or going to the description for our Discord. You have been listening to Alfred Clark as Poncho, Ali Goldapper as Camilla Keeman, Emily Kuklinski as Sorry What You Say, Ian Mitchell as Fang and Fandango, and me as May Hutton as, like, well, all the other stuff, I guess. <laughs> And thank you to all of you for listening. It's been a very special project to me, and I just wanted to say thank you for all coming on this journey with us. Until next time, see you later, nerds.